You are listening to a Science Actually production. The natural world is changing, and we are totally dependent on that world. It provides our food, water, and air. It is the most precious thing we have, and we need to defend it. It has given us such splendor and diversity and all the vibrant rhythms by which we orchestrate our lives. And it also gave us Carvey and Benjamin, so, you know, sometimes it makes mistakes too. What I want. All right. <laughs> it's I wanted, never a, good. I wanted an ad for um, a hotel on the moon that's five-star and top-of-the-line luxury and has all the amenities you can imagine, but none of it matters because there's no air and you're going to die. <laughs> uh, I think you found the one problem with camping on the moon. <laughs> well, it's, got, it's got Swedish massage and it's got a sushi chef and it's got a piano bar and you're not going to taste or hear any of it because you're going to die. <laughs> There's no air in the moon. There's no air on the moon. Uh, a, there is an exosphere, but there is no right. atmosphere. Yeah. Just in your like your chappy teeth. <laughs> uh, well, hello, everybody. <laughs> and welcome <laughs> to another cold open of Science Actually Presents The Nerd and the Scientist. <laughs> Uh, Kavi is a scientist. I am the nerd, and I actually genuinely did not know we were recording. Ah, that's Kavi my secret. Kavi caught me with my radio pants down. <sighs> radio pants. Radio pants. Radio. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I'm currently. Um workshopping material for a science comedy stand-up show that I'm going to be doing at uh, the Adelaide Fringe Festival in South Australia in a couple of weeks. And uh, Radio Pants is now killing me. I have to figure out something about that because that just seems incredible. <laughs> oh, we could add it to the merch store. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I wrote it down. That's happening. I'll think of something. For those of you who don't know, if you go to our podcast page, there should be a link to our merch store where you can find lovely swag, t-shirts and mugs and whatnot, all based off of the lovely, lovely, and I should I say brilliant comedy that you experience right here on this fine program. You should. You should. You because should. we are nothing if not the purveyors of fine comedy, fine puns, and even finer swag. Mm. But today's episode is not about swag. Nope. Uh, what what are we what are we talking about today, Benjamino? Uh, I'm going to talk about going places, specifically going places that are far away, specifically the moon. It's up there. We see it all the time. And oh, it's up there. We've been sending probes and, for a short while, people uh, to the moon for a long, long, long time. We thought we'd just talk about some previous missions and, I think, more excitingly, upcoming moon missions. Mm. What do you think, Cobbs? 
I think, uh, well, I mean, like we're already three minutes into the episode, so I guess we're stuck with this topic. Right. <laughs> no, we're committed to it. Um, no, I, I don't think that we talk about the moon enough. I think that um, one of the, the weird things that I get, I don't know if you get this as well, um, but I imagine that a lot of science fans and space fans and certainly I hope other astronomers um, get this feeling of, of just awe every time I look up and I see the moon in the sky and it's both this abstract, you know, part of the, the, the nightscape or the dayscape, if you're seeing uh, the moon during the day, but it's, it's tangible for us, right? Like think about how many generations of our ancestors um, looked up at it and were like, oh, that's like this white dot that we see in the sky and we don't know what it is and we will never, ever, ever, ever get there. And then uh, now it's like... Think, some people didn't even think it was a place you could get to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, and to think about the fact that now every time you look up at the moon, you're like, oh, there are, you know, dozens of uh, landing sites and rovers and uh, lunar orbiters and, you know, just bits of technology that we have, um, in some cases, literally left our mark on the surface of the moon. It is no longer this intangible thing. It's, it's very damn real. So, yes, I am more than happy to talk about the moon always, <laughs> as you can tell. From my mad uh, ramblings, or some might say, lunacy. <laughs> Luna, because Luna, the I'll, moon, and Luna C. <sighs> I'll show myself out. Hey, thank you. Speaking of Luna, which, that was actually that was an excellent segue, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Luna mission, Soviet mission Luna Two, was the very first successful attempt to reach the moon. Uh, I, I believe it was their, let's see, I think their sixth attempt and the 13th attempt overall by humanity to actually reach the moon. And uh, it was, depends what you call a success, they wanted to be the first to actually reach the surface <laughs> of the moon. So what they did was they basically fired a lander like a bullet mm -hmm. at the moon. Um, it wasn't just a projectile. It was um, a machine that was able to get to the moon, take pictures send information back uh, until of course it hit the moon in which, <laughs> at which time it was destroyed. But um, that happened back in September of 1959 and we've been sending stuff to the moon ever since actually we were sending things to the moon since 1958 but things never made it either they hmm. exploded on launch or something happened on the way there or um has happened with uh the, the luna one probe by the soviet union its job was also to try and get to the moon and hit the moon and it missed and by accident went into orbit around the moon and then so that was just 
okay, I was close, <laughs> but not what they wanted. Uh, so, close on an astronomical scale. <laughs> very close on an astronomical scale. So as you can see, I don't know if anybody follows uh, Tori Bruno from United Launch Alliance or Elon Musk from SpaceX or Jeff Bezos from Blue Origin, but they all have the same thing that they say is space is hard. It's very, very, very mm-hmm. hard. <laughs> hard to get to space. And once you're there, red ridiculously harder to even start doing the things you want in space yeah i i think that it's so um i it's easy for people to say oh you know if if we if we've done this thing once why can't we do it again why you know don't we have civilizations on the moon because you know back in the 70s people were probably thinking okay cool we've made it to the moon man has walked there so within 10, 20, 30 years, it should be like you know, the Jetsons, people mm-hmm. just living and working on the moon and running around and maybe not camping on the moon. As we discussed, that might be a bit of a problem. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's not, it's not a given to um, recreate those successes, which you know involve dealing with some of the harshest uh, conditions in terms of uh, temperature and pressure um, and distance <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. that we know of. So yeah, definitely, definitely impressive. Just 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 being there. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> just happy to be here. It's kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> do you know how many countries have successfully landed anything on the moon? Um. Four, I want to say, uh, have right. successfully. Yeah, is that, four. Is that four. If you're doing soft landings, if you're doing hard landings, you can can maybe call it five. <laughs> <laughs> Soviet Union was first. The United States yep. was second. China mm-hmm. was third. India was yep. fourth. And very soon, I think, actually, is it happening tomorrow? Actually, the Japan might be the fifth. Oh, yeah. Yes. That, um, uh, they're that doing a soft landing, soon. and yep. they're going to... i got to find out what the name is. I, uh, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> they are landing um, the Slim spacecraft. It's uh, landing 6 a.m. tomorrow, my time. So you're in Australia, so I guess it already happened last week or something. I don't know how the, <laughs> how the time thing works. Yeah, time is uh, time is a <laughs> time's weird, irrelevant in Australia. <laughs> Seriously, people, go to Australia. You're going to see some weird stuff. <laughs> Everyone's living upside down. Time doesn't exist. Doesn't um, exist. It, yeah. <laughs> um. In terms of in terms of like even the hard landing, like you still mm-hmm. have to give props to um, uh, countries and and organizations that have even managed a hard landing. Um, mm-hmm. Right, so there was uh, recently an American company who had a hard landing on the moon, um, Peregrine. Peregrine, right? yeah. Um, and then I remember the uh, Israeli uh, non-profit organization, Space IL. Yeah, they had, I when I used to, used to volunteer with them, and so they had had uh, a very famous or infamous <laughs> hard landing on the moon. It's, yes. it's incredibly difficult. It's very hard to to, uh, 
to control things. Once you start descending towards the moon, it's different than descending towards the earth because there's no atmosphere to help slow you down. Mm -hmm. So you're literally just heading towards an incredibly large rock at a very high speed. And the only thing that you have to help guide you down is what you've brought with you. And so if you don't have enough fuel, if you don't have the right amount of thrusters pointing the right way, and if you don't have mm -hmm. the ability to communicate with your spacecraft, or if it's not smart enough to figure things out on its own, uh, you're going to enjoy the warm, warm welcome of a hard landing. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have that, you're going to have a bad time. Um, I, well, you can I have think... a great time right up until the final time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really think the communication is key, or at least it was for, for Space AL, right? Because um, mm -hmm. with, with Mars landers, um, a lot of this stuff has to be automated, right? Because of the distance. Mm -hmm. So the signal that you send from Earth controlling something in space um, will only, it will take as long to get there as that thing is up far away in terms of light distance, right? Right. So, you know, trying to send a signal to a probe that's one light year away, it will take two light years for you to send a signal into the satellite to then tell you that the signal has been received, right? Because you have one light year in each direction. And so uh, for the moon, it's only a one light second delay, but that can be that's the enough. difference between uh, the life and death of a probe. And yeah, I think with um, the Space IL one, it was like, oh, quick, we need to reset the... Uh, the, the configurations for something during landing and then you know when the reset finished they looked at it, it's like oh the velocity vectors are pointing down at you know several <laughs> it's like we're 10 meters above the surface and our velocity is 100 meters per second <laughs> pointing downwards yeah bad news um <laughs> Space even, if the, even if the computer at that time was fast enough to figure out what we need to do to fix it uh <laughs> physics was saying no yes <laughs> computers say yes physics say no <laughs> physics say no uh yeah there was um a story i heard recently i think it was with the pioneer uh it was at the first pioneer that um exploded like still just outside of earth's atmosphere the first uh, pioneer probe? Oh, sorry, not not pioneer. Uh, maybe it was Viking. Damn. For the moon? I can't. Pioneer went to the moon and Viking went to Mars. Yes, so it was Viking. It was a Mars mission. Um, mm -hmm. And um, what I recall hearing was that basically there was a system like this put in place to automatically adjust the. Um, the thrust of, of the of the probe uh, in case it needed to, right? So it wouldn't need humans to intervene and, and say, oh, you, know, you have mm -hmm. to change course, change directions. Um, and it would recognize to do this, uh, even if it lost telemetry, it lost you know, the ability to communicate with, uh, with the ground station. I think this is a Viking one. Um, but our, our listeners will correct me, I'm sure, if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but the issue was is that they had also included a command to say, hey, if you're doing this automated uh, 
velocity vector correction, make sure to do it slowly. In other words, if you are going to suddenly change the direction of the probe and the thrust, do it gradually, make small adjustments rather than just, you know, uh, yeeting the probe in the opposite direction at maximum throttle. The problem was um, a single character was left out of the code that was <laughs> um, sent up with this probe. And as a result, that do it slowly command was not issued. And so when there was a loss of telemetry, um, the probe corrected its velocity, but <laughs> in the worst possible way. And uh, yeet. everything. Yeet, yeet, skirt, skirt. <laughs> yeet, yeet, skirt, skirt. Crash, crash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think it's time for our ad break. Let's do it, dude. Do it. Let's Who's do giving it us now. pretend money this week? Ah, well, uh, this week's sponsor is actually a really good one, really useful, um, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, especially <laughs> given how hard we all work. Uh, are you, Benjamin, are you feeling overwhelmed by the daily grind? Desperately I in am. need of a break? Well, we've got the perfect solution for you. Introducing Some Space, the ultimate space-based vacation resort where you can truly get away from it all. Ever thought, hey, I need some space? Well, now you can have it. Our state-of-the-art accommodations will have you floating in comfort, enjoying breathtaking views of distant galaxies while you sip on interstellar cocktails and dine under the stars. Literally. So, if you're craving a break from the ordinary and thinking, I need some space, Look no further. Book your out-of-this-world vacation at Some Space today. Visit our website at somespaceresort.com or call 1-800-SPACE-GETAWAY. That's 1-800-SPACE-GETAWAY. Some Space. Because sometimes you just need some space. I love it! I love it! <laughs> oh my god, um, I need some space. I think so far this is my favorite fake ad that we've had, and I really wish it was real. I want, I want some space. Mm. I want to dine under the stars and have some space. <sighs> These ads are getting out of control. It's good. <laughs> These ads are getting crazy out of control. But if anybody would like a really, really decent ad, you can buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Still, though, it's amazing how good free can get us. I want to go to some space resort. That sounds great. Copy, where are you going for vacation? Ah, some space resort. Some I space. love it. <laughs> when I open a space resort, I'm serving moon pies. You ever had a moon pie? I I have not. Are you aware of those? A moon pie, a moon uh, pie think... is something you can get. Uh, somewhere here on the better hemisphere. Thank you very much. Uh. Uh, <laughs> jab to half the planet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a good snack. It's like um, you get a big giant marshmallow and you squish it flat, and you cover that sucker in just chocolate. And huh. there's your that's your moon pie. I don't know how. 
it came to be, but now I want one. I think I'll go. I think I'll go get one. It's a moon pie. It's a moon pie. It's a. It's a. It's like a. It's akin. It's 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 akin to a candy bar, of sorts, but the filling is just a massive, <laughs> round, marshmallow. Mm, massive round chunk of diabetes. No. Um, <laughs> deliciousness. Well, while you were uh, drooling over that, I did fact check myself, and it wasn't Viking. It was Surveyor. It was the Surveyor, Surveyor Two mission. Yes. Mm. Okay. Yes. Which was a lunar mission, um, which is perfect for today's topic. Zimun. So we're going back and forth. So Surveyor did the. So, Surveyor, yes. It was a, a mid course correction failure. And soon to be t shirt. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. What else, what else do you have for us on uh, interesting moon missions? I no, you got notes. I got some notes about upcoming moon missions. Um, we have some, a few carriers that can take us people or our cargo to the moon. Um, primarily the United States, and also um, uh, India can get stuff to the moon, and China, but. Uh, um, there are planned robotics missions in various stages of development, but they're all ready to, they're all going to happen from so many countries. It's absolutely staggering, which is a good testament to the international cooperation that goes into moon exploration. We have one from Turkey, Israel, Brazil, Germany, uh, the ESA, European Space Administration. China's got more going. India, Russia. South Korea's going to send one. Canada, Australia, Netherlands, and even from the Czech Republic. All of them have are in the mid various stages of developing, and they already have planned launch dates for their robotic missions, which are going to explore uh, all these, coincidentally, many of them, most of them, the far side of the moon, which is the mm-hmm. part of the moon we don't see very often, either just with our own eyes, but also uh, most missions don't go to that side simply because uh, there's uh, not that it's harder to get to the far side than the near side, but there's a huge communications issue mm-hmm. with landing something on the far side. Yep. And so that's very, very, very exciting. I, I did not realize there were that many different countries that had um, robotic lunar missions plan. Super exciting. I guess the Australian mission is probably going to be a bit easier to launch being on the, the lower hemisphere. We can just drop things from Earth rather than having to launch them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, of course. <laughs> I feel like every, every time I say something like that, I feel like I have to include a disclaimer. Like every time I I jokingly say, you know, because people be like, oh, you know, do you believe that the, the moon actually, like, they, they landed on it? And I will sometimes just be too lazy to respond intelligently, and I'll say something like, oh, "You do you believe in the moon? Um, but I, I feel like in front of certain people, or especially in this public forum, I need to uh, uh, give the caveat that I 
do indeed believe in the moon. And I do not actually think that from Australia we can drop things onto the moon. Because he's he's a scientist and he's tried. <laughs> it just <laughs> He dropped it off to a side and it just popped up on the other side. Goes under the disc. Yes. <laughs> There's another uh, upcoming uh, upcoming robotic moon mission, and this one I I think I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you hate it? What's, what's it's, wrong it's, with it? It's a Canadian mission. It's called Doge One. Oh no! I think we talked about oh, this briefly no. before. Oh uh, yeah. It's a Canadian mission, and it has some scientific merit. To it, it's launching next month in February. <laughs> it's going to go to the moon, and it's going to study lunar geography, and take pictures of the moon. That sounds great. It's wonderful. I mean, I don't love the name, but it sounds oh, like a useful and so, bit of science. So, this one's funded entirely by the cryptocurrency Dogecoin, hence the name doge one and what makes me hate this freaking thing <laughs> it's a cute little compact cubesat i don't know if anybody's familiar what with what uh cubesats are but mm-hmm. they're, they're spherical um, satellites right yeah they're these spherical satellites no they're <laughs> these um cube-shaped satellites they're pretty small i mm-hmm. you can hold them in your hand if you get your hands on them. they're not that huge and uh they're launched in bulk. So instead of one rocket launching one satellite, you can build a small little CubeSat. It'll get stacked along with a dozen or so more other CubeSats on a rocket that are going in a similar direction. And mm-hmm. the one rocket will take it up, launch them all off, and then you have a whole bunch of satellites. So this one is a CubeSat called Doge One, funded by Dogecoin. It's going to the moon. And it's going to take many pictures of the moon. The kicker is, if you could imagine a little satellite that has an arm sticking out of it. At the end Mm -hmm. of that arm, it's got its own personal cell phone aiming back at itself. And it's going to be taking selfies of itself in front of the moon. So you'll be getting pictures back from Doge 1 (laughs) with the moon behind it. As it's taking selfies of itself. And with the part that makes me the angriest. <laughs> not angriest, but god damn. <laughs> it's going to have that Doge dog meme. With the stupid dog with the sunglasses on it. That's going to be on the CubeSat. When it takes a picture of itself, it's taking a picture of that Doge meme image on the satellite itself. With the moon <laughs> behind it. And that's the mission. Way to go, Canada. Oh, God. Oh, wow. I mean, I guess the scariest part for you is the fact that this is called Doge 1, which implies that there will be a series of similar missions. Doge 2, Journey to the Red Planet. Doge 2, more Doge. More Doge. Return to the Doge. Return to the Doge. Oh man! I mean, it is it is kind of cool that we live in an age where um, space exploration has become so accessible um, that ridiculous things like this can be done 
for Absolutely. a relatively low cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the, one of the things I remember um, there's a, a former astronaut, uh, Garrett Reisman, um, who uh, flew on some of the, the uh, shuttles. Um, so, so one of the things I remember chatting to him about was this idea that he, as an astronaut, looked back on the previous generations of astronauts as like there was this idea of like I don't know. Uh, astronauts almost used to be like like superheroes, right? Or like demigods. There was this idea that they were like these untouchable myths of men who would just do these unthinkable things because at the time, like the Apollo missions, it was totally unthinkable, like we said at the start of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that Garrett had said to me that he was very big on was making space more accessible and, and doing you know, uh, science communication from space back on Earth and, like, showing people that, yeah, he's, he's just a guy who, you know, who has worked really hard and, you know, gone to, gone to college and done the science and done the training and, you know, now he's in space. And I think that that's really, I think that's really cool. I think both to, to be able to see, like, people who, uh, both people and missions who make you feel as if you can say, oh, if I want to, I could do this. If I wanted to build this sort of thing and send it to space, I could do that. So, yeah, the the meme of it all aside, it is it is cool what this represents that like you know, a community, a high school, a company could do this sort of thing themselves. And yeah, there are plenty that have and continue to. Yeah. So, actually, many universities uh, around the world have um, sent cubesats to space, yeah. but they, without memes. Just, just <laughs> with the intention of doing science. Boring, boring old science. How boring! Oh uh, man. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, there are some, there are some people in, uh, in my department who are working on a satellite, and it is just wild, like the amount of science and engineering that they're able to do. And I'm sitting here, like my version of science is basically just. I get the data from a telescope and I do coding on that data. And then I try to figure out why my code isn't working. And it's because I'm bad at programming. <laughs> and they're like physically building a thing. You're kind of uh, putting a little tarnish on this uh, vision I have of radio astronomers being all like James Bond and stuff. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, not, I thought not you guys wore slick fun. suits and you drove around in sports cars and you had guns all over and then when you stopped and you went to a bar and you swirled your martini around in your glass, you looked into a radio telescope aperture device thing and you said to yourself hmm, nebula and that was cool now I just find out it's just coding way to ruin it dude <laughs> I mean in terms of uh, looking into a telescope the telescopes that I use are either, you know, in the middle of the Western Australian desert or they're, I don't know, in, in New Mexico or somewhere remote. And so I'm not actually using them or looking into them. I'm just like, I do the observation remotely, get the data and then do the thing. Um, in terms of the fancy sports car, uh, the car that I currently drive, I think, is... Aston legally Martin. old Aston enough Martin. to drink in, in most countries. That's that's how old my car is. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> does it shoot missiles? Um, it it does not shoot missiles. Does it turn into a submarine? Um, I haven't tried. <laughs> does it have a license plate that changes numbers, which is incredibly cool when I was a kid when I saw that? <laughs> Afraid not. Nope. Oh, God. But it gets I'm me from A to B. Out. I'm giving you an out to make radio astronomers seem like they're cool, and you're just like, no. No, radio I'm astronomy is an cool. Impala. It doesn't go anywhere. I don't have to open the hood to see the engine. It's got holes. One tire is made out of, you know, burlap and some chicken <laughs> wire. Like, gosh, darn it. No, uh, I do. I do think that, like, with radio telescopes, um, you can do some really cool stuff, even with like very basic equipment. So, like, I've I've seen people who have built prototypes for serious radio telescope arrays using uh, Tupperware containers as the. Really? Um, container that uh contains uh, all of the uh electronics for for correlating the signals um i've seen a friend of mine actually built his own backyard radio telescope using like a um you know those like gallon uh olive oil drums that you can buy that are like metallic kind of rectangular so yeah using one of those he built a radio telescope that he operated out of his backyard so the accessibility of radio astronomy is pretty cool. Speaking of building a radio telescope out of different things, we should round out the episode with the LCRT proposal, which yes. is the Lunar Crater Radio Telescope. Way to go, Cavs. This should happen, right? Like This should happen. What is it, Kavi? You know about it. Tell me what it is. Tell the people. Okay. Okay. So, so, so radio telescopes have always been built in like weird and wacky ways. And I love it. You know, sometimes you'll have like dishes, like parabolic dishes. And sometimes you'll have like long antenna or like weird Christmas tree looking antenna, like they're building with the SKA. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can basically have any parabolic surface um, that can reflect radio waves to a single like, point and focus them there, um, basically, the plan is to use one of the craters on the moon for that purpose, where basically the, um, <laughs> they will, I think they're planning on doing this robotically, but they will have uh, um, a bunch of wires and electronics um, um, suspended over a crater and to use that crater as a telescope. So, so the LCRT stands for Lunar Crater Radio Telescope, and it's all in the name. Um, and it's super cool. And, and, uh, it's had, I think, two successful rounds of uh, preliminary like uh, R and D funding. Um, oh, wow. But but building radio telescopes on the moon would be super super difficult, um, and I like it. <laughs> and I know that we're rounding yeah. off the episode, but I could talk about radio telescopes for days. But yes, this is a great way. But the radio to... telescope on the moon, which brings it all together. It just wraps it up in a nice little lunar put, package. Put, puts a bow on it. Yes. See people? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Well, this has been a fun episode of Science Actually Presents the Nerd and the Scientist with your favorite co-hosts, myself, Kobe, and the good old Benjamin. Ben, where can the people find you? Online. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, children of all ages, you can find me on all the social media platforms. Look for Science Actually. We're on Facebook. That's the big one. But also 
uh, TikTok and Threads and Twitter and Mastodon and Hive and LinkedIn and also people in the Bay Area. I have started leaving Science Actually stickers here and there. If you can find them, congrats. They're everywhere. There's <laughs> some in my wallet right now waiting to just get left as litter. I hope you pick it up. hope you put it on your phone or your laptop. <laughs> That's something for me to look forward to when I, I visit the Bay Area next. Well, not really. Just my part of the Bay Area. Bay Area is pretty big. Where can people find you, Kavi? They can find me uh, at Fun Fact Science on all of the social media platforms uh, for your daily dose of science and memes and all other things that I think are worth posting. <laughs> or not worth posting, but eh. <laughs> That's what we do what we do, guys. We share the stuff we like because we like it, and that's, that's yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're doing hey, this for us, not for you. <laughs> this is neat. I'm going to share it with people. Thought process over. Done. <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, fantastic. Oh, we will see you all next time here on uh, Science Actually Presents The Nerd and the Scientist. Go away, everybody. <laughs> I don't get it. And this is a podcast about space. Covey is an astrophysicist, so I understand why he's here. Benjamin has a Facebook page, and that's it. Covey discovered a star in Benjamin drinks whiskey in